Well, we are on our sixth lesson of heaven. Now, if you haven't been with us for a while on Wednesdays, we've been also doing a study on angels, angelology. Now, we finished that up last week. This week, we're going to start a study on demons, demonology. Now, between heaven, angels, demons, it's not, I haven't really taught on these things ever, to be honest with you. And you sometimes get the feeling that these type of lessons might not be necessary. They're not really dealing with what you deal with today. They're not dealing with current issues. It doesn't affect your life right now. <clears throat> but the truth is, all these types of lessons are important because they're all part of God's Word. Amen? And if it's in God's Word, at some point it's going to be a part of your life. Now, these types of lessons teach us of what we should and should not expect from life in general. Give me an example. How many have been in a bookstore lately? Barnes and Noble or whatever. Nobody goes to bookstores anymore. But if you go online and Google angels, and this is ringing, is it in the monitors? <clears throat> Just kill the monitor and just have it in the house. Is that better? Not ringing? If you go to Amazon and Google Angels, you will find pages and pages and pages of books on angels. Same thing with demons, same thing with heaven. The problem is most of those are not biblically based books. And if you read them and you believe what some of them say, you may get a very false impression of what God's Word actually says. It may lead you down a path that walks you away from what God says. I think I mentioned this earlier that one of the things that a lot of people believe is that when you die, you become an angel. How many know it's not true? Some people believe that when you die, you get wings if you watch that. Uh, it's a wonderful life, right? If you do good works, you get wings. It's nice to believe that, nice to watch that movie, but that's not exactly how it works. You may think that everyone gets to go to heaven regardless of what you believe as long as you're sincere. How many have heard that phrase before? It doesn't matter what you believe. As long as you are sincere and you're believing it, you'll make it. If you don't know what God's Word says about these things, you may be tempted to be drawn away into things that sound good and sound logical, but they're not biblical, in which case it will slowly drag you away from the truth. How many believe that heaven is one big church service? And it's boring. <laughs> Not what heaven's like, we've talked about that. If you believe that angels don't exist, or demons don't exist, or they don't have any power, that will affect what you do. Because what you believe dictates how you live. If you believe these things, it will dictate how you live. So we want to study these things Make sure we're always on firm biblical ground when we teach them so that when conversation comes up or a story or a movie comes out that sounds good, looks right, we have to be discerning and understand that it may not be true. You know, I thought about, you know, churches and Christians don't wake up one day and automatically get rid of the Bible. How many know that? It's a slow process, a little bit at a time, a little bit of false here, a little bit of false there until eventually... The false takes over and the truth is gone. 
So we want to make sure that we basing all these studies and that things are important in our life. If they're in God's word, they're important. So <clears throat> that being said, let's continue our study on heaven. Now we've talked about this before. Up until now, we've said the following facts about heaven. It's a real place. It's a physical place. It's a location. How do you get there? What's there when you're there? Uh, heaven is permanent. And who is going to be there when you get there? We also learned that the moment you close your eyes here, you die here, you're escorted by angels to heaven and you're greeted when you arrive. You'll have things to do, you'll have jobs, you'll have work when you get there. It's not one big church service, there are things to do. And last week we talked about your bodies are imperfect now, but when you get there they will be perfect, immortal, incorruptible. You will also eat. And you will have some form of this physical body now that people will recognize. So today we're going to focus on another big event that happens in heaven. Now we've taught about this a little bit before, but we're going to go a little bit further today. And that is rewards. We talked a little bit about this with the kids today, the teens. How many of you like to watch the, the award shows on TV? I don't watch them much anymore. The, the Oscars, the Emmys, those type of things. I, I looked it up. There's at least 15 different award shows that Hollywood thanks themselves for. Pretty good, huh? <clears throat> and there's probably more than that. That's just the list I found. Because no matter what people may say, everyone likes to receive a reward. Everyone likes accolades. Everyone likes appreciation. How many remember? Well, I probably don't remember, but you've heard of the story of Jim Thorpe. Olympic runner, 1912 had his medal taken away from him because at some point he was a semi-pro athlete which disqualified him from that. And I looked this up, if you look online, there are a lengthy list, I didn't realize this, a list, pages of people and countries that have lost medals because they were disqualified from the Olympics. I didn't realize that. So it's possible to lose reward here and in heaven. Now, why do people compete? Why do people train their lives through the Olympics? Why, do, why are there football games and baseball? Why do people have competition? Because they want to win. They want to be the one who gets the reward. Now, the Bible tells us there are not only rewards in heaven, but we should want to receive them. It's not a bad thing to want a reward from God. It's not prideful. It's not self-encouraging. You know, God wants us to want that reward. The word reward is used at least 36 times in the New Testament and many more in the Old Testament. And here's just a few. Ruth 2.12 says, May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully. 2 Chronicles 15.7, And now you men of Judah, be strong and courageous for your work will be rewarded. Psalm 58.11, Then at last everyone will say, there truly is a reward for those who live for God. Matthew 16, 27, For the Son of Man has come into his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. Colossians 2, 18, Don't let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you from the prize. And the King James uses the word reward. And Revelation 22, 12 says, Behold, this is Jesus talking, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give everyone according to what he has done. So guess what? There's going to be an Oscar show for Christians. 
And we're all going to be there in the, in the audience, and God is going to continue to call names. But not all believers are going to get a reward. I'm going to understand that. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things while done in the body, whether good or bad. Now, I think we've talked about this, and I'll recap it quickly. There's two judgments. There's the judgment seat of Christ, and there's the great white throne judgment. The judgment seat of Christ is only for Christians, and this is the place where God dishes out the rewards for the life we've lived here. He analyzes all the things that we've done. He pulls out his book. He looks at everything we've done as a believer, and we are either rewarded or not at that point. The great white throne judgment is only for non-believers, and that is where God says, okay, you think you can get in by your good works? Let's look at them. Let's look at your good works. And the first time that the sin is present, you know, presented in the person's behalf, God's standard is perfection. They don't make it. They go to hell. So the, great white, or the judgment seat of Christ is for believers, and that is where God dishes out the rewards. 1 Corinthians 3.10 says, Because of God's special favor to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it, but whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful, for no one can lay any other foundation than the one we already have in Jesus Christ. Now everyone who builds on that foundation may use gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw, but there is going to come a time of testing at the judgment day to see what kind of work each builder has done. Everyone's work will be put through the fire to see whether or not it keeps its value. If the work survives the fire, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builders themselves will be saved, but like someone escaping through a wall of flames. The works that we do as believers, we talked, it was, you know, kind of a God thing. Our our youth lesson was on Ephesians 2.10. Everyone knows Ephesians 2.8 and 9 is for by grace you've been saved through faith, not not of works, lest any man should boast. Verse 10 says, however, you are called to good works that God has prepared for you in advance. And so there are things that God has called us, every believer, to do. There are good works that God has prepared for each one in advance to do. We are required to do those. If we don't do them, no reward. If you do them wrongly, no reward. If you do them with a wrong attitude, no reward. Now, what do I mean by that? If you do something because you like to be patted on the back, you want the recognition of people. Man, this is still ringing. If you do it because you want the applause of men, the Bible says, actually, that is your reward. If you do it because you want someone to say, good job, that's your whole motivation for doing it because you want someone to say, good job, pat you in the back, give you a bonus, whatever. That's, the Bible says that, okay, that's your reward. You got it here, you're not going to get it there. If you do something because you love God and you're doing it strictly because you you feel called by God to do it, you don't care what people think, you're going to do it because God is the one that's going to reward you. That's, you can do the same ministry, it's the motivation behind it that causes you to get the reward or not. Now, it, it doesn't mean you can't be rewarded here. It's okay to be recognized. You guys did a great job with pastor appreciation. It's okay for that. However, if I do that, if I minister only because I'm waiting for that day, 
I don't care about anything else, but man, I want the accolades, I want the pickles, I want everything. If that's the only reason I'm doing it, God says, oh, okay, you got it, that's your reward. That's all you're gonna get. You're gonna have seven jars of pickles in heaven, that's it, that's all you're gonna have. But if you do it with the right motivation because God has called you to do it, not because you really want people's approval, it's great if you get it, but you're not doing it for that. How many of you watch the show Dancing with the Stars? Now I don't, but I read an article the other day, I read a news article that the host of the show misread, I guess the winner, one of the winners or they, at the beginning of the show, I guess they break them up into everyone who's good, you can go to the next level, and there's a few that are not going to make it, they're at the bottom. Well, they called someone who was at the bottom, actually, they said they were going to make it through. And so they went the whole show thinking, yeah, I'm good, I'm going to go to the next level, I'm going to win. At the end of the show, they said, ah, you made a mistake, you're actually not going to win, you're actually in the bottom. And so there was all kind of grief about that. Now, can you imagine how they felt thinking that they're going to get this reward at the end of the show only to find out they're not getting it? Can you imagine being a believer thinking that, man, when I get to heaven, I got all these rewards lined up for me. I'm doing these great things only to get there to find no, no reward. You're going to get in. And as I said to the kids, by the skin of your teeth, you're going to get in. But there's no rewards for you. You get into heaven, but I think you're going to be embarrassed when you do. Now, with Dancing with the Stars, they made the correction. Everyone was fine. They did, they did okay. But there's no, no second chances in heaven. The work we do here, once God says, okay, it's good or it's not good, there's no appeal. There's no second court of appeals you can go to. There's no other. At that moment, whatever God says at that moment is it. No second chances when you're getting there. So what kind of rewards are you waiting for? Now there's probably a several, a whole bunch of different rewards, but the Bible specifically talks about five, and those are the five crowns. We're gonna talk about that in a second. When you do stuff for the Lord, and that's just normal everyday living, it doesn't necessarily have to be ministry. It's how do you live your life here and now? What do you do with the things that God's given you? You know, we heard Juliet and Anna talk about the Philippines and how poor that country is and, and so many countries are in that same position. And as Americans, you know, we think and we look at, see, we all the grief that's going on now, we think it's a terrible country, but we have been blessed in this country. And I believe that one of the reasons is that because we support missions so much, we are the ones that send missionaries out. And I think God blesses us you know, God gives you things not to keep for yourself, but to use to further the kingdom of God. And whether that's finances or buildings or whatever it is, everything we have should be focused in that direction. So that when you get there, other people are there with you. But when we do that, when we live for God, there are rewards that God tells us that we should strive for. The five crowns that we're going to talk about, the first one is the victor or the athlete's crown. 1 Corinthians 9.25 Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Now, Paul wrote this to the church in Corinth. Corinth is a city in Greece. Greece was known 
to have held the Olympic Games and the Isthmian Games. And in fact, the Isthmian Games was actually held in the town of Corinth. So everyone knew the analogy Paul was using. He, they knew about the race. They knew about the Olympics. They knew about training. They understood this analogy. And so Paul used this to get their attention, to show them that every athlete spends every waking hour of his life dedicated to winning the prize, winning the crown. And that crown that they win is only for a moment, not forever. I read an article that uh, says, if you get an Oscar at the award show, you can't just sell that to make money. The contract that you have to sign to get this reward says you have to sell it back to the committee for 10 bucks. So you can't use this to, pr to profit by and, and sell it back. So imagine that people that have these things are probably sitting on a shelf somewhere collecting dust. And at some point when this person dies, the Oscars are going back to be recycled. So the, the things that we work for here, the things that we think are great here, are one day going to be meaningless. But the things we work for in heaven, the things that we strive for here, God says that reward never goes away. It lasts forever. It takes dedication and self-control and sacrifice to be an Olympic athlete. And these are qualities that Paul says every believer needs to have. We need to have the same dedication, self-sacrifice, training that these athletes do. If you want their reward, if you want this crown, there are things you have to deny yourself. There are things you have to do in order to get it. An athlete denies himself free time and junk food and sleeping in and all that stuff. He denies himself that because he wants to train and spend that time honing his craft. And Paul says, as a Christian, we need to do the same thing. We need to make, take count of what we have during the day, what we do, and make sure that we spend our time and our efforts and everything we do focused on winning that. Athletes and competitors keep junk food away so they can only eat what makes them healthy and strong. Christians need to keep spiritual junk food out of our life and only feed ourselves spiritual nourishment that keeps us strong and healthy spiritually. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own, you were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Now, we've heard that a lot. I've probably heard that verse a lot. What does it mean to honor God with your body? What do we do in our life that is supposed to honor God with what we do? Well, I, I listed a couple. There's a whole bunch, but there's a few of them I listed. And the first thing is, how many have heard the expression, your eye gate? I think that's King James, eye gate. Things that enter into your life through what you see visually. Matthew 6.22 says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. What you allow into your system through your, what you see affects your spiritual walk. There are things that we may see that we can't unsee. How many have seen things on TV that you just close your eyes and say, I can't unsee that. What do we allow into our spirit through what we visualize? TV, internet, Facebook, all those things. What do we you know, concentrate our time on watching that now is in you? And it affects what you think and how you feel.
we watch, uh, sometimes we watch those crime shows, the 24 hours, Dateline, those type of things. And every once in a while, we just, there's a couple we just don't watch. We can't, you know, can't watch them. Usually they involve with children or something like that. We just don't, we can't watch it. Because once you watch something like that, it's always there in your mind. You close your eyes, and, and, and the enemy brings it back to your mind. You can't unsee some things. You can't unlearn some things. So we have to be careful and monitor what we allow into us spiritually. The second thing is you can't treat your bodies with contempt. Alcohol, drugs, bad food, sexual immorality, all of these can lead to a sick physical body which makes you unable to keep up with what God wants to do for you. Now, there are illnesses that we all get, we, no fault of our own, but I think a lot of times there are things that we can control. What we eat, what we drink, all that type of thing, smoking, alcohol, drugs, all those things take a toll on you as well as worry and fear, all have a, a toll on your body. And it makes you sick. How many people know others who the worry has made them sick? And they're fearful, and, they're, they're, and it causes their body to react in a different way. So we need to make sure we're trying at our best to treat our bodies well. Can't stave off everything, but there are things that we can do to make our bodies more healthy. And the third part that I just want to talk about is the, the attitude that we have when it comes to striving for the prize, striving for the crown. Attitudes, tempers, self-control, all affect your ability to win, all affect your ability to, to strive for the best. How many know, we know, you know, professional athletes that their attitudes and their tempers and things they do off the field affect their being able to play. They've got expelled from the game or they, or they got arrested or whatever. Their attitudes and their tempers and everything got out of control and it affected their ability to play. Self-control is a fruit of the spirit. And an athlete shouldn't have an attitude or a bad temper that takes his attention away from training. How many know people that just automatically have a bad attitude about things? or a bad temper. You're afraid to say something because you know they're gonna fly off the handle. Well, as Christians in training, we wanna receive that crowd. The Bible says we need to be self-controlled about that. We need to be able to control us and let the fruit of the Spirit have that in us. Training for a game or living the Christian life should be one that is self-controlled. There's a lot of things that athletes don't do. So they prepare for the race. But there's also a lot of things that athletes do have to do in order to win. So we know what we can't do. What are things that Christians should do? And again, these are all involved in self-discipline. I, I shared with the kids this morning, how many of you really enjoy getting up very early in the morning on Sundays and coming to church? When that alarm clock goes off, it's like, oh, do I really have to go today? And the answer to that is yes, by the way. But it's six or seven o'clock, whenever it is you wake up, it's, you don't physically want to do that. But you have self-control enough to overcome that feeling to do what you know you need to do. An author from the early 1900s said this. His name is Elliot Hubbard. He said, self-discipline is the ability to do what you should do, when you should do it, whether you feel like it or not. So 
There's a, there's a saying now in politics that if you've seen it, it says, facts don't care about your feelings. How many have seen that? Something that's factual doesn't change because you feel different about it. And a lot of times when God says these are things we should do, your feelings have no bearing on what God says. You see what I'm saying? If God says do it, it doesn't matter how you feel about it. The Bible says we should do it, so we have to do it. Hebrews 10.25, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage and warn each other, especially now that the day of his coming back is drawing near. Do we realize that Christ could come back at any moment? I mean, literally any moment. Before this church service is over, the rapture can happen. If that's the case, the Bible says you need to meet together more often anticipating that day. And then Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, so we know what we can't do, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, things we have to do. Now, self-control requires us, or self-discipline requires us to be spirit-filled. How many understand that? To be to be able to initialize self-control, since it's a fruit of the Spirit, you have to be filled with the Spirit. The last verse tells us that God grace, God's grace teaches us to say no, and as we yield to what God's Word says and the power of the Holy Spirit, we are more easily able to say yes to the things that we know we need to do. And it's at that point when we allow the Holy Spirit to well up inside of us to get us to do the things that God calls us to do, you know you're exercising spiritual self-discipline and you're now running to get the crown. You're in that race. You're allowing God to work through you. The next one is the crown of rejoicing or the soul-winning crown. First Thessalonians 2.19. Now, I've let you out early. A lot of times this past couple of months. And I normally have six pages of notes, five or six today. I have ten today. So I think you're going to pay me back for all the times I've let you out early. No, I think we might actually get out on time. The crown of rejoicing or soul winning, 1 Thessalonians 2.19. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Now, Paul wrote this to the to people in Thessalonica. This crown is the crown we will receive for are witnessing to people and leading them to Christ. Now, if you remember the history of, of the church in Thessalonica, in Acts, Paul went there in Acts 17 and says this, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. Quote, this Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. These are the people that Paul was addressing in the church in Thessalonica. And he is saying to them, you folks are my joy. You are the reason I'm going to get this crown because I was able to talk to you about Christ and you came to know him. 
These are the people that were saved under Paul's ministry. They were his joy, they were his glory, and because of them, he qualifies for the crown. But it's not only for people who you get the privilege of praying with. How many know that? Everyone has a part in someone coming to Christ. Whether you pray for them, you witness to them, you share a track with them, or whatever it might be, all of that is part of leading people to Christ. 1 Corinthians 3, 6. Paul says, my job was to plant the seed in your hearts. How many have planted seeds in people's hearts and nothing's grown yet? He says, and Apollos watered it. Maybe you pray for somebody. But it was, it was God, not we, who made it grow. The ones who do the planting and watering aren't important. But God is important because he is the one who makes the seed grow. The one who plants, the track, the witness, the prayer. And the one who waters, maybe you're praying for someone that someone else has talked to. They work as a team with the same purpose, yet they will be rewarded individually according to their own hard work. So you may never actually see anybody come to know Christ, but you've prayed for people and you've talked to them about Christ and you've given them tracts, you've given them Bibles, you've given them books, all of which is watering, watering, watering. And guess what? God is the one who has to bring it up. So when you pray for someone, you may be long gone, and that person comes into Christ, you still qualify for the reward because you are part of what God was doing through you. Bill Bright, he was the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ. He says this. They asked him about witnessing and how he met, led so many people to Christ. He says, although I have shared Christ personally with many thousands of people through the years, I am still a rather reserved person and do not always find it easy to witness. But I have made this my practice and I urge you to do the same. Assume that whenever you are alone with someone for more than a few moments, you are there by divine appointment to explain to that person the love and forgiveness he can know through faith in Jesus Christ. So if you're hanging with someone for a couple of minutes, he's saying that God put you there for those two minutes or three minutes, whatever it is. Believe that that's a divine appointment and you're to use that time to talk to them. And again, they may never do anything, but you are responsible for planting the seed. God is the one who's going to get it. God's going to grow it. Now, I wrote down here, you know, I think all of us will be happy to get that crown for soul winning. But I think more than that, we'll be happy to see the people that are in heaven because we were faithful. Maybe someone you know you prayed for, they're in heaven. That means more to me than the crown. So we, not only do we want the crown, we want the people to be there that we've actually prayed for. That'll be the, the excitement part. That'll be, you know, walking on cloud nine kind of stuff. Next one is the crown of righteousness. Paul was writing his last letter. He knew his time was come. The executioner was outside the gate. And he writes this, 2 Timothy 4, 6. He says, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought a good fight. I finished the race and have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits for me, the crown of righteousness that the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that great day of his return. And that prize is not just for me, but all who eagerly look forward to his glorious return. I mentioned before that Jesus can come back any moment. How many are looking forward to that? 
Are you excited? I mean, are you really ready? You know, when someone used to say that to me when I was, you know, 20 or 30 years old, I was like, eh, not yet. <laughs> let, me, let me do some more stuff before you come. But the truth is, we should all, A, not only know that he can come, but be excited that he's coming. Do you look forward to that? The word they, they use, I've, I saw a commentary use, is anticipation. Do you anticipate? Are you excited about it? Are you looking forward to it? The article I read about anticipation says that it, anticipation is shown to have healing properties. If you anticipate something exciting, you are, it says it's better for your health. Kind of like on the other side of hope, you know, you have hope, you're encouraged. And of course, there's a song for everything. So there's an old Carly Simon song called Anticipation. How many of you remember that song? And how many remember years ago, they had a commercial with Heinz ketchup? And how many know that Heinz ketchup is the only ketchup? All the other stuff is bogus. It's only Heinz ketchup. But it, as you know, it's really slow in coming out of the jug. You gotta, well, the, the commercial had that song playing in the background, Anticipation. And you watch this ketchup slowly coming out of the bottle, just slowly, just like, come on. That is anticipation. You know something exciting is going to happen, and you're just waiting for it. You, you know it's right on the edge of your, and you're waiting for it. That's what they're talking about when they say, are you ready for the return of Christ? Are you that excited about it? It's like a vacation. You know, you plan a vacation for next year. And as the time gets closer, it's closer. You're just, you, man, come on, vacation. That's how it should be when we eagerly await Jesus' return. We should have the same anticipation. If we have that anticipation, that means we need to get ready for that. We just can't wait for it and not prepare for it. We have to get ready. And that means living right. If you're not living right, then you're probably not ready for Christ to return. You're probably not looking forward to it. I've, heard, I've had people say to me numerous times, I'll just, I'll just come to God on my deathbed, or I'll just come to God, you know, when I, at the very last moment I'll get saved. How many know it doesn't work that way, right? Usually if people wait that long, their hearts are already hardened, and they're not going to want to hear it. But if you are anticipating it, that means we want to live right and prepare ourselves for that. 1 John 3, 2 says this, Dear friends, we are, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, the rapture, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And this verse, everyone who has his hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Now what does that mean? Well, when you come to know Christ as a Savior, the Bible says you are justified. In other words, you are clean of all sin. Positionally before God, you are good. However, your life may or may not match up with what God says about you. Now, I, I thought about this. There's a difference between being innocent and being not guilty, right? Innocent means you didn't do it. Not guilty means uh, they just don't have enough evidence to prove that you did it. We are innocent because we're justified. 
But we are not guilty because God has forgiven us our sins. We are guilty, but God has declared us not guilty. And when God says, in my eyes, I see you as perfect, but your life doesn't match up with what I see about your life. I think you're perfect, but your life doesn't match up with that. And, and John says, look, if you are anxiously waiting his return, then you need to make sure your life fits with what God says about your life. And if you do that, then you are excited and you are anticipating his return. If you're not, that means your life probably needs to get a little bit better. Going back to our verse in Titus 2, it says, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly in this present age. Why? Verse 13, while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you're saying no to the things you know you should say no to and you're saying yes to what God's called you to, you are doing that because you are waiting and you are anticipating the return of Christ. And if you're doing that, that means you're probably living right. If you're not living right, then you don't want God to come back right yet because you're not sure. The next one is the crown of life. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Revelation 2.10, Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Now, we don't have that type of persecution here yet. But this reward is given in recognition of enduring and triumphing over temptations and trials and hardships that come in your life. And the the reason that we were able to endure that is because we trust God, we love Christ, and we, we trust that what God is doing is still in our best interest, even though we may not like what's going on. And God, in, in Revelation especially, he says, you're going to suffer. And he says 10 days, but for a lot of people, it's longer than that. And he says, be faithful even to the point of death. If you do that, if you're faithful to the point where someone kills you for your faith, then I'm going to give you the crown of life. Now, it's easy to say that in America, where your life's not on the line, but there's a lot of countries even today that they catch you, they kill you. And actually, there's some videos out there of them actually doing that, if you care to look that up. They bear you up to your neck, off goes your head. Today. So I think our lives are pretty good here, right? Anybody got something to complain about? We have to maintain our faithfulness through trials and tribulations, not give in to what the enemy wants us to do. And then God says, I'll give you the crown of, crown of life. Pretty much every New Testament book was written to Christians who were in fear for their lives. Every apostle except John was martyred, and John was just basically exiled on an island. If you've never read Fox's Book of Martyrs, it's, read it. And that's from time of Christ to about 500, I think, or 1500 AD, I'm not sure. Today, believers are being killed in other countries for their faith, and they will receive their crown, this crown. 
Now, I wrote down here right now without getting into politics, our church or this church today in the U.S. is beginning to feel a little bit of that. In other, all these other countries, the government is doing the persecuting. Not the general population, it's the government that's doing the persecuting. And it's only, in my opinion, a matter of time before it happens here. We have the ability to stave it off for a while if we are faithful, we pray, Second Chronicles 7, 14. But right now, people can't go to church, right? People who are going to church in their cars, staying in their cars, are yet being fined. While the people who are parking at Walmart are not getting fined. If this trend continues, and our government continues to exercise more and more authoritarian powers, guess what's going to happen? But the, unfortunately, the Bible tells us pretty plainly that we shouldn't be surprised at that. 2 Timothy 3.12, yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. If you don't feel some kind of pressure in your life and everything seems to be going great, don't use it as an opportunity to kind of walk away from God. Because I told the kids this. Once you're in God's family, you're God's family. And God calls you to do things in his family, just like you know, when you're part of a family, you take out the garbage, you make your bed, all that kind of stuff, because you're part of the family. If you don't do that, and you're young, what happens? Right? You get spanked. God will spank you to get your attention. Because God wants you to be able to endure. And sometimes those temptings and those trials and those persecutions are God's way of getting your attention. To, okay, get back on track. The question is, when that comes our way, persecution, are we going to be able to endure it? We've lived awesome. No persecution, really, none. Inconvenience, maybe. No one's life, no one's property, no one's job has been threatened because you're a Christian. But if it comes and they say, recant or die or recant or lose your job or take the chip or not eat. Are we going to do it? The last one is the crown of glory. 1 Peter 5.2 says, Be shepherds of God's flock that are under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Now this crown is for not just for preachers. This is for anyone who is shepherding other believers. Sunday school teacher, pastors, small group leaders. If you're shepherding and you're teaching and you're instructing other people, people that are in your sphere of influence, maybe it's your family, shepherding your kids, you're shepherding your spouse. If you do that faithfully, 
The Bible says that's the crown of glory. Whenever you have the ability to teach or lead others, we should lead or teach them because we want to, not because we're mandated to do it and we don't, the Bible says you don't lord it over them. You, are, you do it because you want them to learn and grow. You want them to become mature. When you have kids, you don't lord it over them. You do things, you teach them, you train them, you get them to do stuff. Why? Because you want them to grow and become responsible adults. And when we, when we teach the Bible, whatever it is we do in ministry, you want that person to grow. You want that person that when you're gone, I used to tell this to the, when I did the kids back home, I said, our goal is to teach you to the point that when you are by yourself and you are surrounded by people who aren't Christians, there's no preachers around, I'm not around, no one's there, and they're trying to get you to do something, do you have the guts to say no? Do you have the ability to stand and know what you believe when everyone around you doesn't? That's what our goal was, and that's what every church's goal was, to prepare you to live in the world. Now, suppose we get all these five crowns. What do we do when we get them? We have a mantle, put them on? No. Do you think we wear them? That'd be kind of weird wearing five crowns, right? Nope, the crowns are actually re are rewards that allow us to present them to Christ, Revelation 4.10. The 24 elders fell down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, O Lord, our Lord and God, to receive honor and glory. Now I looked that up. Some commentators believe that the 24 elders represent believers, all of us. So all the believers will be there to present their crowns to Christ. Can you imagine showing up, you ever show up to a party that everyone has a gift but you? Or you have a gift that's kind of, I, I saw a, a TV show once where one person bought a gag gift and everybody else bought a serious gift. And of course, that was humiliating to the guy that brought the gag gift. Can you imagine being in the crowd and not having anything to lay at Jesus' feet? The crowns aren't the most important reward. The reward is being able to present them to Christ. And you know what the greatest reward is? The greatest reward, not only being able to present them to Christ, is simply being with Christ. Genesis, way back in Genesis 15, 1. And I'll close with this. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. So our reward is not only going to be with Jesus, but we're able to present to him everything that meant anything to us as a gift. To him, would you stand as we close this morning? Would you bow your heads for a moment? Maybe you're here this morning and maybe you've been a part of this church for a long time or, or maybe even a short time, but you've never really accepted Christ as your Savior. 
you've heard the messages, you've heard all the singing, you've, you've done all that, and you're still curious about that. You're not really sure what it means to be a Christian. Maybe you're at home, same thing. You're not sure what it means to be a Christian. And it simply means that you've accepted the fact that you're a sinner, that nothing that you can do can earn you entrance into heaven. But the Bible says that God sent Jesus to take that debt from us, to pay the debt that we should have paid for our sin. All of our sin was laid on him. And when he died, he took that punishment for himself so that we could be declared not guilty in God's eyes. And all God wants us to do is accept that fact. And not just in your head, but in your heart. The Bible says, if you believe in your mind and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you are saved. If you've never done that and you want to do that, I want you to raise your hand this morning. If you're at home, let me pray with you right now so we know we have a lot of online viewers. Father, thank you for those who are listening to this message and I thank you for those who have received the word gladly as your Bible says. And for those that have wanted to confess their sins, I pray that you would allow them to do that and allow them to receive Christ as their Savior, His payment for their sins forgive them Lord allow them to ask for your forgiveness and Lord allow them to open their eyes knowing that they have been forgiven because they've trusted in the finished work of Jesus Christ maybe you're at home or maybe you're here this morning and you're, you're not really sure if you've got any rewards in the pipeline and again, we don't do that because we want rewards here. We do that because we want to please God and honor God with our life and our body and our ministry. And when we do that, the rewards will come naturally. So I pray for each one of us here that you would fill us with your spirit. Allow us to really have the excitement, the anticipation of your return, the, the great things that we are expecting from God the rewards that we know you have laid up for us. We want to live our lives in such a way that not only are we the only ones there, but God, we are able to bring people with us. We're able to teach and train people. We're able to witness to people. We're able to do all these things in order to bring more people into the kingdom of God. And if we do that, we know, Lord, our reward is waiting for us. So, Father, I pray your blessings upon each one here. Allow us to leave with renewed excitement realizing that Jesus you could come at any moment and we want to be ready for that so father I commit each person to you you fill them in you use them we pray in Jesus name and everyone said amen, amen. God bless you see you Wednesday night new study demons don't be afraid God's more powerful than demons